and welcome to this, the 48th episode in this second series of the Rise Productions Irish Theatre Podcast. I am your host, the self-appointed cheerleader-in-chief of Irish Theatre, Angus Og McAnally, Artistic Director of Rise Productions, a freelance actor, more recently a director and a producer here at Rise. I am a 21-year veteran of the Irish theatre scene and a third-generation theatre maker. And as ever, we are coming to you live from our studios at the Irish Theatre Institute in the heart of Dublin's cultural quarter of Temple Bar. And of course, this second series is brought to you thanks to the generous support of the Arts Council of Ireland. Now, each week we bring you these conversations absolutely free of charge. We've promised that we won't ever charge for this podcast, but we are looking for you to put your money into Irish theatre. The whole ethos behind this podcast is to support, promote and celebrate all that is great about Irish theatre. So how best can you support? The simplest way and the easiest way, just go and buy yourself some theatre tickets. Get out there, enjoy a night out at the theatre, put your money into Irish theatre, put your money where your mouth is and enjoy a great night out while keeping the machine ticking over. But look, if maybe tickets are outside your reach this week or this month, there are a whole heap of ways you can support without even having to put your hand in your pocket. Go and tell people about this podcast, whether that's in person over a pint or a cup of coffee or by sharing the link as a Facebook post or retweeting the link on Twitter or Instagramming or Snapchatting or whatever the way you want to get the word out there. Do please go and subscribe to the podcast over on iTunes, uh, though all the episodes are streamable and available for direct download at riseproductions.ie. We're also on Podbean and Acast and all those other places you can get your podcasts from. Do go back and listen to all the other episodes, both in this second series and in the original series. Leave us a review on iTunes, if you would. That's a huge help for us. Maybe this is the week that finally, after promising yourself you'd do it for a long time, you'd head on over to iTunes and give us that much-needed review. And maybe if a review is going to take you too long, you can simply click to rate us on their five-star rating system. That really is a one-click deal. It's only a couple of seconds out of your day, and it's always a big help for us. And as ever, you can follow us on Facebook. We are facebook.com forward slash Rise Productions Ireland, or you can follow us on Twitter. We are at Rise Ireland. And it's been another big week here at Rise Towers, because for those of you who, unlike me, didn't do past maths for your leaving, you will have done the sums and realised that episode 48 in series 2 plus 52 in series 1 means that this is the big 100th episode. And it's an amazing milestone for us to have hit. You know, seven years ago when I dreamed this whole project up, I never thought for one second I'd still be going now, but I'm delighted that I am and that we've put together this archive, the most comprehensive archive of theatrical voices ever assembled on this island. And the fact that it exists as an archive and as a time capsule for future generations and as a snapshot of a year in the life of Irish theatre is something that fills me with immense pride. And I know from talking to people that it's had a real impact on their lives, whether that's, you know, students from the Lear who've used it as a crash course and getting to know who's who in the industry, or the Irish actors in London or New York or LA who've used it as a way of staying in touch with what's going on at home, or just the audiences who've taken a chance on new shows that they otherwise wouldn't have seen and had great nights out at the theatre. It's really achieved what we set out to do with it. And I've had a ball having all these chats with my friends and people I really admire. And I'm delighted that it has meant so much to so many people who've joined us along the way. But as I said, it was always about a year in the life of Irish theatre. And episode 48 means we are closing in rapidly on episode 52, which will once again be our last episode. And this time, I really think it'll be for good. I'd always left the window open for a comeback the last time on the basis that Ricky Gervais had allowed himself the Christmas specials for The Office. But I think these two series have done everything I wanted to do with this project. And so now it's time to put it to bed for once and for all. But then again, Ricky Gervais did come back and do Life on the Road. So who knows? But what I do know is that there was only one guest I could have on for episode 100. And it's none other than the inspiration behind this podcast, the man whose format I ripped off hook, line and sinker, the king of podcasting and arguably the biggest name in the world of independent pro wrestling, Colt Cabana. Now, any of you who followed this podcast over the years will have heard me talk about Colt before, how in the early days of Rise Productions, when I was out all on my own on the road with Fight Night, I'd finish the show, throw my bag in the back of my little Opel Astra hatchback, and drive through the night to the next town, listening to The Art of Wrestling, Colt's groundbreaking podcast. 
And it made me feel like a real pro wrestler, like I was part of that fraternity, beating my body up every night, getting a big pop from the crowd, and then driving all those miles to the next show. So I took Colt's idea of long-form interviews with pro wrestlers, applied it to Irish theatre, and the rest, as they say, is history. And I'm so delighted I was able to get him on before we wrapped up Series 2. It may have involved some international flights, but it was absolutely worth it. And I think it's a brilliant insight into a slightly different form of performance, but one that's much, much closer to what we do in theatre than many of us might realise. So, look, let's get straight to it. Here it is. The brilliant Colt Cabana. Well, here's a sentence I never thought I'd get to say. The wonderful Colt Cabana joining me on the podcast. How the hell are you, my friend? You would never think you would call me wonderful? Is this yeah, what That this was is? exactly what it is. I just, I've brought you here to Edinburgh and Scotland just to insult you. Usually I call him a piece of shit or an <laughs> asshole, but fine. I never thought I'd say it. You're wonderful. Um, Hi, buddy. How are you? I'm doing good. This is very strange and surreal um, for anyone who has been following this podcast. It's because I speak... With a different accent? Yeah, it's very strange. It's usually exclusively Irish voices. Yeah. Uh, no, anyone who's been following a long time knows that I ripped off your podcast start to finish. Um, so it is very strange for me now, having spent those years driving around Ireland doing shows, listening to you, to subsequently be down here doing it. It's, it's kind of fantastic. Um, take me back to the very beginning. Your first impulse or interest to get into your element of showbiz, which of course is pro wrestling. Right, yeah, you have to make sure that... like. You have to give that preface of like, hey, this is we're doing. This is a pro wrestler on, but hey, this is theater. Oh, you'll probably do that in the whole intro. Yeah, you've probably already done that in the whole intro. <laughs> It'll be fine. Oh, you've explained it all. <laughs> it's all led into this. So sorry. So my first interest in it. Yeah, when did it first start? I mean, we're ballpark the same age. Is it like just Hulk Hogan and Randy Savage being incredible and going, I like this? this yeah. This. Well, here. So I'm a kid. Uh, well, I first my father. So 1985. Uh, essentially, Hulkamania took over uh, the United States of America. I was five years old at that time. I, I, the first thing I remember watching was um, uh, I was like three or four years old, so it was 1983, I think it was, and my father uh, was a casual watcher of wrestling. Okay. Wasn't obsessed with it like, like I would become, but he casually watched professional wrestling, and he was watching it, and I, and I was there with him, and I just remember watching it and being enamored with it. And so, I mean, that was the start of it. But the I always, people always ask, because it is, it, I I love sport. I love sport, but I also am a child, just like you, uh, of the of the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles and and GoBots and Transformers and He Man. So like, I love that stuff too, which is like a cartoon, but it's also over the top characters, I guess. And so for me, the only thing I could put on it for professional wrestling was that combination of sport and silliness. Yeah, and um, I also liked. Like, Bloodsport is one of my favorite movies ever. And just the idea... And, like, Karate Kid also, right? So these movies are, like, competitions with... And the better... Like, Bloodsport's better than Karate Kid because there's so many different characters and gimmicks, right? <laughs> yes, there's the, the little monkey guy. There's the, the um, you know, Paco. And the, there's just all different gimmicks. And I always, like, a, a, so, like, in my head, they were all, like, wrestlers. Like, it's, like, wrestling characters. And so this was... Um, this is yeah. Pro wrestling is the combination of all of it. Now, for an awful lot of kids growing up watching it, these guys are larger than life superstars, and it's not an attainable goal. But you had the athletic background as well. I mean, you went to college football as well. Yeah, I mean, I, I was a kid that played sport. I was never the best at all the sports, but I was better than most, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. And I did have a, high, a good uh, in American high school foot high school football career. I wasn't good enough to play college football at a big level. And, okay. I, and I ended up playing at a big level for one year because my parents, I wanted to be a professional wrestler since I was, um, well, so I'll take it back a little bit. Like, right, I was obsessed as a kid. And then I started getting this thing called the Pro Wrestling Torch, which you're aware of, which is like an insider's newsletter about the world and the ongoings of professional wrestling. I started getting this about 12, 13 years old. And so now I was reading about the inside gossip and the scoop and how how it worked. And so then I, that's when I put it together where like, oh, uh, I think I can do this because, you know, Wade Keller would put the results for Hulk Hogan versus Macho Man Randy Savage and The Ultimate Warrior, and those were people that I couldn't be. But he would also like... He'd say, hey, there was a show in Nashville, Tennessee in front of 150 people with Moondog Rex or whatever. And I was like, now that I can be. Exactly, right? <laughs> I was like, this, yeah, I can wrestle in front of 150 people. Like, There's no expectations there. I'm sure those people are just normal people. <laughs> um, and so that was when I first was like, 
oh, I, I think I can be a pro wrestler. I'll never be a giant star or a WWE or WWF, but I, I could do the thing that I am obsessed with at this moment. And my parents always said, you can be a wrestler when you're done with college. Sure. And so I had to go to college. I, I didn't want to go to college or university. Uh, um, so I graduated high school, and they were like, you can't go be a pro wrestler. I'm sorry. Like, graduate college, and then you can do whatever you want. And so I was like, okay. And when you watch wrestling, you always hear about... Um, a lot of the good ones, Jim Ross would always talk about their college, their college football background. Yeah. So I was like, I guess I'll go play college football at the highest place I can play it, uh, so that can be on my resume. So that I'll then walk in the door, yeah, <laughs> Titan Towers. No, <laughs> just that, like you know, like there's something to like build me, like there'd yeah. be something good to hype me for. Yeah, if I ever, if I ever made it, which I never expected to make it anywhere. So I, that's that was my assumption. So. I, I, I was a preferred walk-on at Western Michigan University, which is a Division One A college football team, which is, there's a lot of groups. There's Division One A, Division Two uh, A, Division Three A, Division One Double A, and One A is like, if you know nothing about college football, but you know like, oh, like Michigan versus Ohio State, these are like really big rivalries that bring in millions of dollars. Um, you know, the Western Michigan University is in that, they're, they're like one of the smaller schools but if you say to someone in America, I played Division One A football, they're impressed. Yeah. The same way later you'll learn in this podcast, if you say to someone, yeah, I've wrestled for WWE, they're impressed. Now, yeah. you know, for me, I'll be like, I was the worst WWE wrestler of all time, but I don't say that. So okay. for college football, I don't say that I played at Western Michigan University. I say I played Division One, sure. Division One A football. Yeah. And so I played one year, I hated it, I quit, and I started wrestling. At 18 years old. Okay, now this is where it gets interesting to me because we've had a whole lot of actors on the show before and we talk about their experience of training, mm. which tends to be three years of dance and movement and voice and acting and, you know, studying the method and all that kind of stuff. For you training to be a pro wrestler, what does that entail? Um, yeah, well, there's probably a different level of training schools uh, in the theater or whatever it might be. And there's yeah. different levels of training schools in wrestling. There's... You know, at the time that when I broke in in 1999, there was the power plant, and there's some great documentaries, including um, uh, what's the guy who goes? He's a really nerdy. Guy. Oh, Louis Theroux. Louis Theroux, yeah, <laughs> right. So if you go back on YouTube and you look at him going to the power plant, you'll see like, oh, this is a very regiment training. Um, mine were just two guys in Chicago who were independent wrestlers at the time, and um, and they just kind of, you paid your money. I paid $2,000. It was, you know, I got that money from my bar mitzvah. That's a story I'll tell. It's amazing. Yeah. And, um, and yeah, so they trained me to wrestle. But it was hard. It was very hard. Um, but I assumed going into wrestling school that there was going to be hundreds of people just like me who were obsessed with professional wrestling, who took it very seriously, who wanted to be wrestlers, and it was going to be all these like-minded people. But it wasn't. Like, I had just came from Division One A college football. I won't say where. I'll just say, you know, you, ha you know, my trainers were impressed with that. Yeah. And I was the most athletic kid there by far. And it wasn't really kids. It was just people from, I mean, people that just wanted to do it as a hobby, you yeah. know. And, of course, you know, Punk was there, too. And we were the only really ones that, like, were like, we want to do this for a living. This is what we want to do. We're dedicated. Um, you know, he was just a... A kid who liked, you know, comic books and worked at a comic book store. So there, and never played a sport in his life. So there wasn't, you know, like, you know, but he, um, he had the, uh, that obsession with pro wrestling, you know, just like I did. So, uh, yeah, the training was three day, three or four days a week, every single week. Uh, I'm sorry, every single, yeah, yeah, every single week. And I did that starting April of 1999. And my intention was to train from April to uh, to September, go back to school, and then come back the next year, and then continue my training, and then maybe eventually get some matches. Yeah. But what happened was, like I said, I didn't realize that everyone was going to kind of suck, and so after about eight weeks, you know, they needed someone. I would go and help with the ring and put up rings at shows like all over, and um, you know, Rock and Randy, who was the promoter of the show at the uh, National American Wrestling Federation, in Whitewater, Wisconsin, was like, we need someone to wrestle. And he's like, do you want to wrestle? And I asked my trainers. They said, yeah, you could do that. And so I started wrestling in, that, in the summer of 99. And then slowly but surely, he asked me to do more shows. And I would just wrestle on more shows and more wow. shows. And so my training, yeah. And so then I'd go back to college. But then I'd be traveling every weekend to wrestle on these shows wherever I could. Uh, and I, my college was about two and a half hours from my home. Three okay. hours, yeah. So, uh, 
And if you could picture Chicago to Michigan, and then I go Michigan to Wisconsin, which is a little more north. Uh, so that's then four hours, you know, for 20 bucks or whatever it is. Um, you know, I wasn't even thinking about money. I just couldn't believe that I was wrestling. And yeah. so a lot of that training then was on the road um, doing shows and figuring it out. And the, and the great thing about wrestling, and I don't know if it's the same in theater, is that, you know, there's a, there's a, high, there's a high card and a low card. So, like, there's the veterans who are expected, like, to put on the, the, the best, better part yeah. of the show. And then there's, like, the low cards, the kind of the scrub guys who, like, you do a match, there's not a lot of pressure on you. And then, you know, you're surrounded by a lot of people who've been around wrestling a lot, so you can kind of, like, pick their brain and they can tell you stuff, and uh, that's kind of how you grow as a wrestler and learn to be a wrestler. It's interesting because in our line of work, there tends to be kind of two routes that either you go through this formal training and you do your three years or whatever else, and then other people just tend to, like you say, learn on the job. And mm. I think both are equally valid. It sounds like you got the best of both worlds, that you could even get that intensive training, yes. as in get the basics of bumping and footwork and all that kind of stuff. But then also out in the road, working in front of an audience, you learn about reactions and putting matches together. Yeah, and I mean, when I'm, you know, I never stopped training, for, you know, I think maybe three years I stopped, after three years I stopped training a little, because yeah. their training center shut down. But, you know, I was doing the, the weekend work, I'd still go and train, and then winter vacations I'd train, and then the next summer I did, I trained, you know, three, four times a week, every, every single day. Okay. So the training was always continuous while wrestling. And um, yeah, I, yeah, that's just kind of how, right, how you learn. And, like, I didn't have any expectations uh, of doing anything really big. I just wanted to wrestle. And in those early stages, and particularly in the, the training time, is there much, was there much time for you spent on the performance end rather than, strictly speaking, just the physicality of how to bump, how to move in the ring, you know, learning the physical execution of the moves? Was there much in terms of putting uh, a character together or how to perform for the crowds? Yeah, a little bit, but... Uh... I mean, I had a really crappy character, but yeah, me and my trainers, they weren't, it wasn't necessarily like learn about the performance of it. Um, it's really, it was really about the little things, the technicalities of professional wrestling. And, um, and I say that too, you know, to a lot of, because I do a lot of training and I'll train a lot of wrestlers. Uh, I'll do like seminars. I know I won't necessarily train them from scratch, Yeah. but it's just like, just worry about the very, very little things. And that's what happened with me. And, and so I'd say after, you know, after two or three years of really learning about, well, I mean, there's different stages of my career, but, you know, after I, I, the first year I just wanted to, like, make sure the moves were right and I was doing them right and that's all I was worrying about. And then what happens is you just get a little, uh, I wouldn't say cocky, but you're just, uh, you're conf you just have confidence. Yeah. And it's stages of confidence. Like, the first stage kind of was like, okay, I know how to run the ropes and duck a thing and hit a guy with a thing. So now why not try to add a little... Uh, pizzazz onto yeah. it, and, and and that's maybe happened in the second year, you know. And but, but then by my fifth year of wrestling, um, I really, really had the the fundamentals down, and that's when I really started developing a character. Yeah, because everything else was second nature at this point, and so when when that's second nature, now you can start to develop a character. And and the crazy thing is, is right, like I've been doing, I've essentially been doing live, I've been doing live physical improv in the round for 20 years, right? Uh, and, and you don't think about it. So when I go and I do some acting or I do some stuff, like a lot of it's really second nature to me. And I'm always like, this is crazy. I'm not trained, but it's like, oh yeah, I am. I've had 20 years on the job training. Uh, I'd like to think, I, yeah, I probably do know some You've stuff. You've picked up one or two things. Yeah, yeah. It's, my, it's been fascinating for me. But but it's I picked it up just by like self-pickup. Yeah. Because in wrestling, it's not like theater people are coming to us and being like, this is what you're doing and why you're doing it. Yeah. It's just by trial and error and realizing what works in front of a crowd, not because we know the technical name of it or why we do it, just because we're like, well, if we want it to work, this is this seems to be the way that it works. Is there a large element to what you do that's, that is similar to kind of the stand-up comedy, which I know you've got a huge interest in, in that uh, a comedian, when they're working out new material, will go and try it out in front of the test audience, hone, refine get the punchline sharper or work where the how long of a pause you need before you do it is it a similar thing in terms of pro wrestling that you know in terms of what they call ring psychology in terms of you know bringing a crowd with you to bring them up to then pull them down again to then hit them with the big punchline are there similarities there between those things between stand-up and and uh, pro wrestling and <laughs> or theater too i mean well you know i try like on little shows i guess that's where i try stuff out if that's what you mean um but yeah, you know, because right, I, I've dabbled in a little stand-up, and the reason I think I'm decent at it is, not decent, but 
I think I have a better grasp than someone who's just going right to an open mic is because sure. I do understand the art of storytelling and I do understand the art of right of, of bringing a crowd up to bring them down and, and where you want to hit them and, and where the twists are going to be and the surprises and what makes people surprised or what makes a or how you get a reaction yeah um, which is obviously very hard in any you know it, it it's hard to take that from pro wrestling to stand up or pro wrestling to improv or whatever it might be but I do understand the fundamentals of the idea that you need to do that. And I've done it thousands of times yeah. in front of a crowd. Um, yeah, the art is very similar. Um, and, and, and I found it very similar in trying both. It's been really interesting for me, because the last couple of years I've moved more to doing directing as a parallel to also keeping the acting going. And the more time I spend around pro wrestling, which I've been doing in the last couple of years, the more I feel that it, it ties back in to helping me be a better director. Because it's that thing of... Um, simple things like if you've got a couple who are in love on stage you're going well let's you know in the way that in the run up to a big main event keep them as far apart mm -hmm. as possible for as long as possible so that when we eventually bring them together you're going to get that pop yeah and, I mean it's simple little building blocks like that though I mean so you know in 2010 like I did a little web series uh, creative has nothing for you and I, I've done and my friend Marty DeRosa who works on a lot of stuff with me um, will do stuff and I found myself I found myself also like directing and I guess producing these bits um, and I love that process of it, and I also realize that I'm pretty good at it because of wrestling. Um, so yeah, a lot of it that that will all kind of happen um, because I produced essentially I produced my own two man plays or whatever it is for so long, and you don't think about it. And uh, you know, one of the, one of my the most fun experiences I had was I did a show called the Chris Gethard Show. Yes, um, and like we I did his television show. Where I, I wrestled John Hamm along with a bunch of other wrestlers and comedians, and you know they first they they brought me I'm friends with Chris Gethard and and so he brought me in to help him with the wrestling and just to and then eventually what happened was they're like oh we we're not really sure how this works I was like yeah I'll map out the whole thing and I eventually I went into the I went there to New York a week early and I I mapped out the whole thing and I was in this room with all these TV people and I was explaining how a match works with the confidence that I have mm. of being like, yeah, then Rhino will come in and we'll do this and we'll do this. And then I, I asked like, well, what do you need? And they were like, you know, like, what do we want to make sure we get out of John Hamm? And they're like, well, we need this, this, and this. And what do we want to make sure, like, what's going to happen with Vacation Jason and, and Chris Gethard when they run? And so I needed all the bits and then I just put it all together and I ended up getting an executive producer, uh, or I'm sorry, a producer credit for, maybe, no, I think just a producer credit for the episode. Yeah. And um, I what I liked out of it is, is I was in the match. I enjoyed doing the match, but I really enjoyed doing the process of give me everything that you need. So what, what's everything we we need in this television show? Yeah. And I will and I'll put it together like a map or a puzzle. And so I liked the process of putting a wrestling match together, and I and I enjoyed the the, the process of putting uh, you know whatever the TV show together or these skits on YouTube's. I, I love that puzzle, and that's almost just as. Um, uh, what's the word like uh, nice for me um, it, it feels just as good as the idea of wrestling which makes me feel good knowing I'm you know 38 going into my 40s how, long, how much longer can I wrestle yeah. but I will get the same satisfaction out of other things within professional wrestling or theater or yeah. production or it's funny isn't it because I, I would have felt the same way that you know nothing compared to the buzz of being on stage performing as an actor but I actually do find that getting getting to shape the experience for the audience like that in terms of putting the story together can be really interesting and they, you know they, as artists we're like right the, uh, we don't like math and science we like right or whatever it is yeah. but I, I look at it like a math problem almost I don't know why and I was never good at it but to me I, I see it as a math problem like we're trying to add and subtract and, and, and yeah. multiply or whatever it is to put this puzzle together to make a final product and I guess it, at this stage it is the experience of thousands of times going and putting a match together because spoiler alert for the theatre folk uh, some of the results of pro wrestling matches would be <laughs> predetermined um, but in term, but uh, some people I guess read that as oh well, so it's all rehearsed and choreographed in the way that they would understand a fight scene in a play or a fight scene in a movie and it isn't like oftentimes you're arriving at a building at you know two or three hours before you're going into the ring with maybe with someone you've never met before mm -hmm. and you have to put together a 20 minute piece of physical theater that's essentially contact improv and and roll with it that yeah. way, which is not nothing there's nothing I well I like a lot of stuff but this is something that I really enjoy is having like a comedian or an actor or whatever or someone who's in the arts come backstage 
and watch me put a 20, watch me do a 20 minute combat uh, acrobatic thing. Watch me put it together in 15 minutes. And the terminology and the way we're just like this, 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 and this. And then for that person to then go see the final product, because, you know, they'll see it 20 minutes later or whatever when we're on stage. And that can be mind-blowing. And that that is where wrestlers are unbelievably underappreciated in, in the idea that this is that they can do this. Now, I mean, you can, do, you know, like I said, it's been, you know, almost 20 years for me in wrestling. So, I, it's you know, I've done it so many times. It's, I don't even, I haven't lost count. I'm sure over 3,000 matches at this point yeah. or whatever it might be. Um, but that process is, uh, yeah, it's fun to do. And, and it's... Um, it's like nothing else, you know, I, I always say like there's some, of the, in, you know, at OTT and over the top, there's been some of the, you know, you guys, you've been, had some of the greatest high flyers in all of professional wrestling, you know, Ricochet and Will Ospreay and Matt Seidel. And, and these guys are like some of the finest acrobats in the world, but they're not trained as acrobats. Mm. And even, and even the bases, the people who, you know, like I'll, I'll help someone twirl around. It's like, I'm not. That was I didn't go to a fucking five year school for that or whatever you know like I wasn't meant like we're just like oh this is how you do it and then to be able to do it with such ease and then to watch other people not see that's the other thing is like if we if if see as someone who wrestled with the WWE they, they would bring in football players all the time and you'd be like these are the football players who are in N- the NFL like mm. the biggest you know, the million dollar football players and they're like oh can you do this and they're like they can't. And you're like, you're the number one athletic person in all of the country. And like, I can do this with ease and you can. So it's just like a weird trained muscle that takes a long time that, um, yeah, that it's just, that uh, that some people just can't get it. You talked a bit about it being like uh, a math puzzle. Uh, is there an element that in terms of putting a match together, there's a degree of formula to it in that... You know, we'll start off, we'll let the baby face of the good guy get a little bit and then, you know, cut someone off. And is there, are there kind of set points in mm-hmm. the story? Like, in the way that there's, you know, they say, what, there's only seven stories in the world. It's, you know, boy meets girl, boy loses girl, boy gets girl back again. Is there a same kind of formula to putting together a match at times? Yeah, I, you know, over the years it's always changed. Uh, you know, I was taught away, and, you know, maybe it's now changing now, but, like, there's always, I mean, the basic story is, uh, someone told me that, like, Jerry Lawler used to use this terminology of, like, um, you know, all matches are based, or he took, like, they're all based off the Rocky movie, or the Rocky yeah. fight in Rocky, uh, maybe in Ro- I mean, it was Rocky 1 or Rocky 4, just the idea of, like, if you watch Rocky, like, that's how all wrestling matches should and, and kind of are, is, like, Rocky's up a little in the beginning, Rocky's down in the middle, and then you can't believe Rocky made this hor- uh, horrific comeback, uh, <laughs> whatever, the uh, unbelievable comeback, right? Um, and so, yeah, so, um, but we, we do play with human psychology, uh, and that's how wrestling works is we play with the psychology of the mind and I know it sounds weird looking at these big you know big tough wrestlers and you're like they're psychologists and mm-hmm. like right again like I didn't go to psychology I don't have a psychology degree but for almost 20 years I've been psychologically playing with people's minds in order to get a reaction that I want uh, and you learn how to do that by um, by doing it you know by mm-hmm. seeing what works yeah, I mean, that end of it is absolutely fascinating to me because it's that kind of, you know, off-the-cuff storytelling that you've got to put together in such a short space of time. And like you say, you don't put together a 20-minute fight scene in less than 20 minutes mm-hmm. to then go out and perform it in front of a couple of hundred people with no rehearsal. Sometimes uh, thousands. You yeah. Know? yeah. Um, I, find, I find that end of it just fascinating. But again, the, the, the idea of the psychology that for an awful long time the psychology was about getting people into the building to, like, just to buy the tickets. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that you do how you would structure the story was, we're going to give them a satisfying night out, but we're going to leave them with enough to want to come and get more. Mm-hmm. And that now, that elements of that story, like in the kind of, in the mode of what they call the super indies, or these big kind of one-off shows where we're not looking at long-term storytelling, um, that it's about setting up expectations and then flipping them and surprising them and and giving people these magical moments of, I can't believe they did that. Mm-hmm. Well, but, uh, you know, this if they're smart, they, the super the psychology will... You always need to bring them back for another time. Yeah. So, uh, and, and that's happened a little bit in America is that we, there's been... All the super matches have happened and so there are people... I've seen it happen with a promotion in Chicago. It's like, the it started... 
the attendance started to dip a little because it was just these matches. And then, um, I, you know, I think the idea is, like, how do we get them in? It's always been wrestling. How do we get them in the next month? Because yeah. we're going to put on this show every single month, literally forever. You know, WWE Raw has been on 20 years every single Monday. It's, you know, the same way that the soap operas have been on in yeah. America. I don't know if it's the same in Ireland. Yeah. Um, I want to talk a bit about the, the nature of being a performer because in our line of work, we're all freelance contractors. We're all going from gig to gig, hoping that a theater is going to call next week or a movie is going to call or a radio play here and there. For you guys too, it's the same kind of deal, but you're just traveling around the country working for various, except for the people who do end up working for one of the major ones, like mm-hmm. WWE. You've been on both sides of that. Mm-hmm. What What are those experiences what? like? <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, but, so before I got sent to WWE for, God, about eight or nine years, I was every single weekend, right, hoping to find a gig and traveling around, yeah. and so that was my life. And then, you know, I was only in WWE for two years, so, um, you know, I've really, you know, championed the independent scene for a long time, and I always thought I'd be in the Indies because I never thought I'd make it to WWE, so I always... Assume that that was my life, and so I prepared myself for that life. Um, in that way, you know, I, I've been, I have a friend who's kind of shitty with money and is an artist, and, and I, my mentality has always been like, you know, so I feel some people are like, if they're smart, they're like, okay, if I make 25 bucks, you know, I will save five and spend 20 of it. Like, that's their theory. And my theory has always been like, okay, if I make 25 bucks, I will save 20 of it and spend five of it. And is that as simple as you know you can't be moonsaulting at 55? Um, it's just I, I don't, I, I assume I'll get hurt, right? Yeah. And I don't know, you just don't know if it's ever going to stop. Yeah. You don't know. And so even when I started really making really good money, I've always, always been under the, you know, so if, if I make whatever now if it's I make a thousand dollars I'm saving 990 <laughs> of it and I'm spending 10 of it it's just how my mentality is and so um that's allowed me this you know a nice career and now in my later years um I'm not as worried but because that's how I've been doing it for so long it's still how my my, my mentality yeah. works and that's how I work as that's how my mind works as an independent wrestler going from one to the other now I mean in terms of like how we get the work you know it's just um well, I built so many things to try to get the work right. Like yeah. you got to keep yourself relevant, which is very hard. Uh, you know, you got to want promoters to use you. And you now in new day, you know, back in '99, in there was no Twitter or Facebook, so I couldn't <laughs> say like, I'll I'll have all my followers, I'll promote the show, which yeah. is a way. It's just you had to be a good wrestler, uh, and you had to have some buzz about you. And now, right now, it is like, hey, I can, I'll do a podcast and I'll promote your show, and I'll do a Twitter, you know, I'll, I'll tweet out about it or whatever it might be, and that's a way you can you can get on it. I want to talk a bit about developing that brand um, because having left the bright lights of WWE, it was Who are you? No, I've never <laughs> left the bright lights of WWE. Vince is not calling yet. Oh, sorry. I, I think he's covered for commentary. I think he's. I think he's all right. Um, but for you, when you left, that idea of okay, we need to, like you say, keep relevant and, mm-hmm. and, and establish this brand and make it a desirable thing for people to bring you into work, and part of that was starting off the infamous podcast. Mm-hmm. The impulse for that, where did it come from? What was the idea behind it to begin with? Well, there's a lot of things, but the main thing was like, I was like, you know, a lot of the wrestlers, they, they, they do everything to get to WWE, and at this point I was no longer in WWE, and I knew that, like, they're not going to just hire me back six months later. So in, like, my head, I was like, all right, maybe, like, in three years, if I have this really nice buzz about me, they'll be like, oh, okay, let's give them another shot. So I knew I had three years of, like, either getting a, a new job or wrestling or whatever it be, but I, I knew I had this, like, three, two, three, four-year window of I was going to be on the independent scene no matter what because uh, they weren't going to take me back or anything. And so, right, it was like, how do I buzz, how do I make a buzz for myself? How do I keep myself relevant? Uh, I knew I had the independent star power, if, if you will, you know, as opposed uh, on my world, in my yeah. world. I knew I'd been doing it a long time. I knew I was, very, I was good at what I did. And I knew I had a viewpoint. Uh, and I also knew that I, I had a story that I thought needed to kind of be told um, that I didn't have an outlet to do because that's what WWE is. That's the outlet is that <laughs> weekly show and uh, no one's going to be able to hear me on it. And, and I always, I always like, I always use Carlito as an example of like, uh, and I love Carlito, but he was on TV every week and people were like, yep, Carlito every week, TV. And then he's stopping on TV and he's, you know, people booked him, you know, right when he was released because, uh, you know, they remembered him. And then, As seen on. Yeah, but then, you know, three years later, like, he hasn't been on TV and, and he hasn't done anything to, like, try to 
be like, hey, remember me? It's Carlito. He just wrestles. He just wrestles from show to show, and he sits home and hopes people book him, and they do because he's a good wrestler. But uh, I knew I needed something to be like, hey, this is me. I'm still out there. I needed something like that every week. And so then, obviously, I mean, the, you know, I was a, I love comedy. It's one. Of, it's one of, if not my favorite thing, uh, you know, with wrestling. Uh, performing wrestling and uh, the comedy podcast in 2009 2010 they were really starting to explode and I knew uh, that uh, I couldn't wait for the wrestling version to be done and I was just like who's gonna do the wrestling version and then six months later I was like oh no one's gonna do it I should probably I should do it and I knew that was also a way to every week that was my TV show that was my Monday Night Raw my Smackdown this was my every week show that would keep people refreshed and remember, oh yeah, Cole Cabana's out there. Oh yeah, he's a thing. Oh yeah, I like Cole Cabana. Uh, oh, maybe I should go see him live or buy a shirt or whatever. Yeah. Maybe. I mean, and I, I have, like that is exactly why I ripped it off. I was sitting here in Ireland going, oh, not here in Ireland because we're in Edinburgh now, but I was sitting in Ireland going, this is absolutely genius. We, it's, it's a way that, it was a way of me, for me to tell stories that wasn't going to cost the same as putting on a full theater production to tell those stories, but we could tell these stories. Uh, and also, I mean, I was aware of the fact that it was like an, an hour-long infomercial for me and the company right. every week going into influential years. Uh, and like you said, keeping it current and, and whatever else. Uh, are there standout moments from, from those interviews or sharing those stories with the guys? Did, is there anything that... Or maybe the question is, do you feel... How do you feel about that? Do you feel proud that there is that record of all these interviews with all these performers and all their different takes through the business because you had a nice mix as well of you know young hot up and comers guys who've been around mm -hmm. a long time older veterans who've like, been around for well, years well as the other podcast started coming along it started getting less special for me if that makes sense like I remember the first like two years I would look down that list and I would be like look at that fucking lineup you know like look at all these people the variety just yeah. like you said and, and nobody, were do nobody was doing these long form style of podcasting and professional wrestling and then uh, you know, Jericho and Austin and JR, and then they all started having the same people on, and then all of a sudden, like, you know, for a, for a while there, like, I was the only one offering this to people, and yeah. then it kind of got got saturated, so, like, my romance for the idea of it started to kind of fade away as um, the idea of this podcast, of, of the wrestler, of someone in the business talking to someone in the business yeah. started becoming... Um, just a, a thing that people expected whereas before I was the only one doing it for about four years mm. um, and so but I, you know the first couple the first couple of years it was like every year I was, I was super proud to look at that lineup and look at all the wrestlers and, and know that each one had know that each one was my friend know that there were stories that people didn't know mm. um, and also like that these people were I'm I'm their friend so they can kind of just talk to me and they want to do this like because this has happened before like I've been you know maybe a couple of years before I started the podcast I'd be doing these interviews and I'd want to like come out and I'd want to tell stuff and I'd want to like have this like heartfelt information and talk with people but it was just like on Skype or over the phone and the person they didn't you know they didn't know how to do it they yeah. were they were people talking in the background I could hear them talk, you know typing on their keyboard and I was like Oh, they're not clicked in with me, and so it's just not as fun. And then I just give my basic answers. Whereas I understood the idea of like talking with someone because I did them all live. I, you know, for years I did them all live in in person, just like we're doing now, yeah. and that's a real conversation. Yeah. And, and so, as wrestlers, we didn't have this. We didn't have that opportunity to have those conversations. And so that's um, what I loved about doing those talks at that time was to have these conversations with these friends that would open up about wrestling that I knew the world would want to know about that they weren't. Being, they weren't having this information, and yeah, there was these things called shoot interviews, yeah, which were very popular. But essentially, again, that was just kind of like question, answer, question, answer. With and to be fair, with a fairly negative slant on it, it's like let's right. bury people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And right, and and I always from day one, I always wanted to show because I was having my friends on. I just wanted to show the greatness of my friends, yeah, as as opposed to them shitting on people and hating stuff about professional wrestling. Yeah, I was thinking actually when when I kicked off. Doing this first, when you die. Oh, when I, when I first started, I did that same thing. Like I'm just having my friends on, but also only having people on that I liked and respected because I didn't want to have to say nice things about the dickheads. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I, yeah. Totally There's a lot of people that that were that were famous that I was yeah. like, I'll pass on that person. Yeah, <laughs> yeah of course. Yeah. Like, well, I don't want to promote them. Yeah. yeah. Um. As so now, as you are, like you said, you are you 38 now. Yeah. So and similar to myself, I'll be 38 later this year. You're looking ahead 
like we said, maybe not hitting moonsaults into your 50s or 60s. So, I don't know. Uh, who knows? <laughs> um, but there are significant other strands to your bow as well. This, we're here in Edinburgh at the moment because you're here for the festival doing stand-up every night. For this. Uh, I do. Uh, we do kind of a multimedia improv show, not necessarily stand-up. Okay. Yeah. So this is so we, if so it's watching wrestling clips and commentating on them and joking around, making jokes over yeah. them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but this is the what sixth Edinburgh in yeah. a row. Yeah, I mean that's a serious commitment for a dude who's based out of Chicago to be here every every summer. Well, the guy I do it with Brendan Burns. He won the uh, Edinburgh Fringe in two thousand seven, and uh, he 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 had a show in uh, two thousand twelve where he needed a plant who was kind of a wrestler type, and uh, he just told me this the other day. I didn't even know this that. The reason we did the show that we do now was so that he could pay for my flight and accommodation. Like, the, the money we would make from that would pay for me coming over. And I was like, oh, I didn't even realize that. <laughs> uh, but I had so... I had always been a... I'd heard of The Fringe. Mm. I was a huge comedy fan, still am, right? And I was like... I always said to myself, like, man, one day I'm going to go over there and I'm going to, like, watch a week of shows. Like, I'd always said that. Like, that was one of my goals was right. to go watch a week of shows because I'd heard so much about The Fringe. And then when he gave me the opportunity to, to do it... Uh, I jumped on it, and then I was like, well, I can do, wait, I, this was a success, we had people here, I had fun, um, no, no one from the wrestling community was mad that I came over and took a month off, and I, I go to Japan a lot for, you know, at that time I was wrestling for Pro Wrestling Noah, and, and we do some three and a half week tours, so um, I just looked at it as a tour, yeah. and uh, yeah, this is the sixth year, uh, every, it's just so much fun, every, like, I get to hit my comedy bug because I'll go and I'll watch shows all day I'll do my wrestling show at night I'll work out in the morning and just watch shows all day rinse and repeat I get to do that for 25 months 25 weeks 25 days Jesus <laughs> we're coming to the end of the 25 yeah. days now <laughs> yeah it is at the end of the at the end of the fridge here and so yeah it's like it's so weird that this is my this is my holiday why do you think the fringe is such a good fit for you and is it possibly because the nature of the three-ring circus that is pro wrestling, that it's all a crazy variety show to begin with? And that, is that why part of why it feels like a good fit for you? Well, I, I think, you know, wrestling's becoming hipster-friendly and nostalgic. And so um, it's like the only wrestling show on the bill for the past six years. You know, Jim Duggins did, uh, he did a five-night run. Okay. And you know, I think Mick Foley did a two-night run. But we're the whole thing... Um, I think it stands out from even though like it is the three ring circus here and there's all shows from all different things it stands out when you're like oh I'll be like you know I'll flyer people and I'll be like uh, hey want to see some shitty wrestling tonight and every, you know for everyone's first instinct here is to go no no thank you no thank you and so many people are just like wait what and they're like fuck I love wrestling and then you they're like oh my god and then I'm like yeah I used to be in W and going back to that to the football thing I go I used to be in WWE and they're like holy shit really like they don't know I was the worst wrestler ever there right they just they're impressed by that and so um, yeah and so uh, it works I don't know and um, I yeah I just love uh, also I think I'm this weird jockey boy not riding horses but I'm a, I'm this American jock yeah full of all of these uh, just over-cultured people at the fringe, you know, like, and that's part of, like, my charm here is uh, I weirdly, I kind of fit right in because I'm a little bit different, but, you know, it's, I, it's weird to say that I'm super accepting, but, like, right, you could see, like, um, like, the the frat boys, or I don't know if you know American frat yeah, like, we, culture, right? Yeah, like, we do. And, like, you look at me and you're just like, oh, this is a, some jock asshole, he... he He's not going to fit in, but like the, I love the 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 theater and the com. I mean, more the comedy, mm. but the comedy theater and the improv and and the stand up and and people trying different things and just the weirdness and alternativeness of it. Uh, I embrace it so much, and so because I embrace it, I feel others embrace me and welcome me into their community. Do you feel you're able to filter back into work and matches? Are there elements that from that you're taking from it? Well, I'm on stage every night, right? And so, and I do a lot of like other stuff around the fringe too where I'm on stage me and my friend John Hastings have now done a bit for a while where he we go on stage and he teaches me how to do comedy um, and it's a bit you know but like it's so fun because uh, I can you know he's such a great comedian and and but I'm you know we're, we're doing the same amount of work and I'm playing I'm kind of playing this character of a dummy a dumb American I know what I am and I'm but I'm obviously building up a little yeah. more than it's like wrestling I'm heightening it a lot yeah and so it's just like I've, I'm, I'm getting these chops, right? So it's, you know, so six years of our show, if there's 25, you know, it's over 150 times. We've probably done the show over 175 times. Um, and I've been on stage, you know, probably 
over 500 times, you know? So it's yeah. just like, that's how you get good. And I always tell wrestlers, like, oh, you just need more matches. Like, they're like, what can I do better? I was like, you need to go wrestle 200 matches yesterday. <laughs> and, you know, it's the same thing. It's like, well, how, of course I'm going to get better. I've been up on stage 500 times. Like, of course my wrestling, um, you know, my, my comedy will get better, my chops will get better, and my wrestling will get better. Yeah, I find it, I find it fascinating. There's also been straight acting stuff for you though recently as well, hasn't he? Moving into some TV stuff as yeah, well. Yeah, yeah. I have an agent. And, uh, yeah, I did some stuff on. Uh, oh god, I just booked a commercial for an insurance company. Excellent. Uh, yeah, I was on Chicago PD. I did a little thing which I did an episode of Marin. Yeah. Um, yeah, and it's just um, you know my agent picked me up. I, I've had a couple agents, but I, I had an agent you know based off of. Uh, I had this big article that was on in Chicago about me. I was on the cover of this of the local newspaper and the Chicago Reader, and I got a lot of buzz from that. And people started picking me up, and um, I don't have a problem in auditions or or on the set or whatever. And I'm not like I'm not a classically trained actor, but again, it's just like I get it. Yeah, you know. So I think that's kind of the bit, and so yeah, I, I enjoy doing that kind of stuff. Yeah, I mean, I, I do. The more I come, the more time I spend in the world of pro wrestling, the more I see the similarities between the two. That it's it's essentially the same job. I just wear less spandex and baby oil. Right. Thing, you know, it's just it's the same deal. As you look ahead to the future, have you particular ambitions or particular mountains you still like to climb, or is it just to keep taking over with the broad range of work you're doing now? Yeah, well, I like mixing the acting and the wrestling. So, like, I like whatever I want to do. I would love for that to be like with a wrestling backdrop that makes sense because I'm not going to pretend that I, like that's my expertise you yeah. know and so the idea of like go to the fringe and people are like oh go you should do a play it's like no I, I, I want to do some comedy and something fun but I you know it should be about wrestling like that's where my fans are that's how they would know me um, in a perfect world I'd have some you know maybe like a TV show and I like to work on that like a TV show implementing comedy and funness you know with something like with there being a, a spread of wrestling um, in the world you know in that world uh and that's kind of like, I think those are my goals. Also, I have weird goals of like, you know, I wrestled at Butlins for a long time. And, Amazing. Right? So, like, I'd love to get something like that in America where, uh, or almost like a theater, like a, a, a theater production of like, you know, at, almost like every day for an hour or whatever it is, like every Friday night, every Friday and Saturday night, maybe like in Chicago, there is a wrestling thing. And I've had this like weird, maybe I'll talk to you this off air, but like yeah. this idea of just like, uh, uh, of like doing like an improv show like a three match show which is based off of improv but it is wrestling and we just use wrestlers but we have suggestions from the audience and they like they make the narrative of like the show and like why the wrestlers are wrestling each other and like not only the narrative of like the three matches but then also like all of the show um, if that makes sense like like you know from the very like we have the two people in the beginning and then they're in the main event and then we're figuring out why they're in the main event and like and we could build that the audience can build that and we give them a wrestling show but they're making the wrestling show I love it uh, yeah there's something in there too I'd, I'd have to do it at the beats and I, I thought about like bringing it to the fringe or trying it at the fringe but then there's the idea of the problem is is that with theater there's a stage with wrestling there's a $5,000 wrestling ring that you have to get in and it, yeah. there's, the load time is unbelievable so yeah. it's just something that's, that's not able to happen but if it was if there was able to have just keep up a wrestling ring for 27 days here yeah. at the fringe um, but I, I picture it being like a small thing, not like, you know, not for a thousand people. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, so I, but I, that's something I, I, I think would be so much fun if I could figure out how to do it or whatever. It sounds fantastic. Maybe it's a project for you and I later. I think we'll go and talk about it. There's a serious arts council money we can get for that. Yeah. Um, Colt, i got to say, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate you coming on. It's a real full circle for me. There was no one else I could have had for episode 100. Hey. Uh, thank you for allowing me to steal your format, yeah. hook, line, and sinker. Well, I didn't allow you. You just did it. <laughs> There's that too. Uh, but it's been a real pleasure having you on. And mazel tov on uh, 100 episodes. So there you have it, the great Colt Cabana. That was a real bucket list one for me, and it's still a little surreal to me that we made it happen at all. But I'm so grateful to Colt for taking the time out of that hectic Edinburgh schedule to sit down and talk about his life in the business. Um, I've been lucky enough through my work with OTT to get to know Colt over the last two and a half years. We've hung out in Edinburgh a few times, and honestly, you couldn't ask to meet a nicer fella. I just wish I could tell the 2011 version of Gold driving that Astra from Castle Bar to Tralee that one day he'd be recording this, because I think he'd get a bit of a kick out of it. And so, 
That brings us to our usual weekly roundup of theatrical goings-on around the country. At the Abbey Theatre, they got Scotty's out on the road, the Lost O'Casey from Anu as part of the festival, the Patient Gloria, Richard III, which I saw last night with the ever-brilliant Aaron Monaghan, and Rathmines Road, and also Double Cross coming up. At the Gate Theatre, they've got the completely sold-out Hamlet, starring my pal Ruth Negga. At the Gaiety Theatre, it's Bluebird's Castle, and then Tom Crean, Antarctic Explorer. At the O'Reilly Theatre, it's Everyone's Fine with Virginia. Wolf, and then up at the Lear, they've got Serious Money coming up, which I can't wait to see. I haven't done that, Jesus, nearly 10 years ago myself now. Uh, at the Mermaid Theatre, it's How to Catch a Star and Underneath by Pat Kinnevan. At Smock Alley Theatre, it's The Misfits, St. Nicholas and Mother's Nature. Uh, the Civic in Tala has Rathmines Road. At the Pavilion Theatre, it's Portrait of the Artist uh, as a Young Man, directed by the great Ronan Phelan. At Dreacht in Blanche, it's Home Theatre Ireland. At the Viking in Clontarf, it's The Boys, and that's followed by And Thank You. At Bewley's Cafe Theatre, they have Beezy by Sheila Flitton. At the Project Arts Centre in Temple Bar, it's jam-packed full of Dublin Theatre Festival shows. Check out their website there for all the details. And then as we head south to the Everyman in Cork, they've got Shawleys, followed by The Nightingale and the Rose. At Galway's Town Hall, they've got The May, starring the great Rachel O'Byrne, uh, A Story of Destiny, Take Off Your Cornflakes. They've also got Three Hail Marys and Bad Jews by Josh Harmon, who wrote Skin Tight that I saw off-Broadway back in June, starring the great Adina Menzel. So I think a little trip west might be in line for me to go and check that one out. At the Lime Tree in Limerick, they've got Cracks, followed by Holy Mary. And at the Hawkswell in Sligo, it's Deepwater Rambler and then Tea Dance. And up north at the Lyric in Belfast, it's the sold-out production of Good Vibrations. Followed by Double Cross, starring the great Ian Toner, uh, Rise Productions alumnus, and also Sharp McCurry, who I'm a huge fan of. So look, that is us. That is episode 100 in the books. We will, of course, be back next week for another chat with one of Ireland's leading theatre makers. But in the meantime, this has been the Rise Productions Irish Theatre Podcast. For Angus Og McAnally, I'm Angus Og McAnally. We'll see you next week. Alright guys, that's been the podcast for this week. This is the Art of Wrestling for Cole Cabana. I'm Cole Cabana. Thanks.